Welcome back to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. C.S. Lewis once said that Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And that really just encapsulates how radical Jesus is. So today, missionary to Wales, John Robinson, speaks on Jesus' exclusive I am statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, it is good to be with you. I was always taught in my speech classes never to begin a time of speech with an, with an apology. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. I would like to apologize for my voice. I've been having laryngitis for over a week uh, from sinusitis and all of that good kind of things. I had heard of a thing called a medicine ball and Neil so kindly got me one and I think that's why I have any voice at all. So <clears throat> I apologize for that. I feel fine. I just don't have a great deal of volume to my voice, but that's why I have a microphone because a microphone amplifies the sound so it makes it louder and you can hear it. I thought I'd explain some technological things to you. <laughs> anyway, it is good to be back and uh, I have the joy of coming to be with you about every three or four years when I'm back in America. And I always look forward to this time together. Before I jump into the text, I did want to do my uh, sort of uh, shameless pitch, as it were. You've heard about the table. <laughs> there are things on the table of great interest to all of you, I'm sure. And you'll see some cards that have flags on them. These are for different language groups in Europe that we work with. Uh, we're lingua Christi and we work with speakers of indigenous minority languages, such as Welsh, which is what I use all the time. And yes, I'll speak a little Welsh for you to get that out of the way. Um, you probably, I'll do two things for you. I'm sure you know John 3.16. So that's, And you're also probably familiar with a small village, very close to where I live actually, and I'll say it for you once, and you should be able to get it. One more time, and you should get it. It just rolls off the tongue, really. Anyway, several of our language groups are up here. And one of the thing, one of the reasons why I have a table, uh, besides having this uncontrollable urge to stand by table and do my hand like Vanna White used to do. There's information on ways that students can get involved with us in the summer months. We have a lot of summer missions opportunities all over Europe. And some of the things we do, we like to use what people love to do anyway. For example, we're looking for skateboarders and surfers and musicians and sports people. Pretty much anything you're into, we can probably use it to leverage that same interest with other people for the sake of the gospel. We also have teams going into areas where we're hoping, hoping to open up new work. These are called discovery teams. For example, we have a team going past the Arctic Circle in Norway and Sweden to work with the Sami people. 
Has anyone ever seen the Netflix film Klaus? It's an animated Christmas film. Anyway, the little girl in there is speaking Sami. That's uh, one of the language groups. So lots of things there. There's a clipboard. You can leave me your name and your email address. And I won't sell it to anyone else, I promise. Uh, but I would like to get in contact with you if you'd like to learn more about what's involved in being involved in summer missions. That's all of that. Now, to the text. I have to say that I was delighted to have the opportunity to talk about this particular text. It's a text that I have preached many times, and I've actually been thinking about it a little bit. The last time I was here, I think it was 2019. Was anybody here the last time I spoke? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I sort of did a Virginia Woolf does missions, does the Bible, it was sort of stream of consciousness type of thing. Not my usual, you know, four points and a poem and that sort of thing and Roman numerals and that sort of thing. It wasn't that, it was just sort of talking. And I thought at some point Neil was going to stop me. He was sitting there and I just kept talking. It was like, I don't wear a watch for a reason. And, and I just kept talking about things and just here, there, 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 chasing every rabbit possible. And I thought sometime he's gonna be doing this. I said, please stop talking. He didn't, so I talked on and on. I hope I won't do that tonight. But it is going to be a little bit more personal, a bit more anecdotal, rather than digging deep into the Greek and all of that stuff. But I would like to start by reading the passage. And I'd like to start at the beginning of the chapter. This is John chapter 14. But I'd start at the beginning of the chapter. And I'd like to go down at least through uh, verse 7. So John 14, 1 through 7, but 6, verse 6 is going to be our focus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for honest questions. We thank you for even bewilderment sometimes at your word, as we see in this passage. But we thank you that you bring clarity, that you bring order, and that you explain things to us in your word. And we thank you for that. And we ask that you'll be with us tonight as we talk about this passage and talk about what it means to us and what it can mean to us. So Lord, I pray that you would take me out of the equation. Lord, I am a weak vessel 
but I pray you would be glorified and you would be seen and you would be exalted. For you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me. So Lord, we pray that you would be exalted in our midst today and that you would draw us to yourself. And we prayed in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Well, I'm sure there's some preliminary type of things that I don't have to spend a great deal of time on. You've been going through the I am statements for a while, I understand. So I don't have to explain to you, I don't think I do, how revolutionary, how much of a lightning bolt it was to the hearers of the time to hear Jesus say, I am, and then follow that with one of the, these things that he uses as a descriptor. I think that you've probably covered that, so I'm not going to cover that tonight. But I would like to say this is a passage that's very important and very familiar to us. Verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, I'd like to start by looking at the passage and just what it says. Then afterwards, share with you some of my personal musings on this. Just what does it mean? What does it mean for me? Because I've been asking some of these questions. Maybe some of you have been doing so as well. So I'm just going to be a bit transparent and talk about sort of the inner workings of my mind, which is a very dangerous thing. I'm going to do it anyway. I had a student once many years ago and said, you're a very unusual man. (laughs) And I said, you have no idea. (laughs) So I'm going to let you in there a little bit. Not responsible for any psychotherapy needed after this evening. But let's look at the passage. This verse is in two parts. And we know this. I don't think I'm going to tell you anything you don't already know about the passage. And I think one of the hard things about it is that it is straightforward. I'm one of these that gets my Greek New Testament out and I kind of dig and try to pull out of it every ounce of meaning and surprise in the original text. The problem is there's just Not much more than what's here. It's very straightforward. Now, we're very pleased with the first part of it. We're already accustomed to these I am statements of Jesus. You've already been through a number of them. So we kind of like this. Jesus is talking about who he is, and he's using that formula that is so revolutionary for so many people. I am. I am the way in the truth and the life. That's the nice part, isn't it? We like that part. I don't know if we know what it means, but we like it. It's not offensive. It feels good. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. You could probably write a song about it. I couldn't. You wouldn't want to listen to it if I did. But the second part is the part we struggle with. We're all about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. (laughs) We're uncomfortable with the second part. Why? It's not very tolerant. 
Jesus is in a position of talking about himself in exclusive terms. And that makes us uncomfortable. But hopefully after talking about the passage a little bit, you will feel less uncomfortable about it and say, ah, of course, of course. Then we'll talk a little bit more and a little bit more. It's a good thing I can't see Neil or anyone else doing this for me tonight. Didn't matter last time, but thought I'd mention it. I am the way. Now that word way is something we use all the time. Do you know the way? In other words, do you know how to get someplace? Oh, where are you, John? I'm on the way. I'll be there. I could say 15 minutes, but that would be two hours here in Southern California. Nowhere I've gone has been anywhere close to the GPS or anything like that. The way. We're constantly on the way someplace. We're constantly going someplace. The way is how we get from point A to point B, right? So far, nothing, nothing profound, right? We know the way. But most religions, most philosophies have people who are going to show you the way. They have a teaching, they have a system, they have a belief. And if you follow these steps, you will get someplace. You will get to where you want to be. Maybe that's God. Maybe it's contentment. Maybe it's finding yourself. Maybe it's finding purpose, finding someone somewhere that can answer the existential questions of life. I am showing you the way to here. The interesting thing here is that Jesus isn't showing anybody anything. He says, I am the way. Now think about that a moment. I am the way. I'm not showing you the way. I am the way. Now that's right there in front of us, but what does this mean? It means something that C.S. Lewis said that's always stuck with me is that Jesus' gift to us is himself. The gift here is not showing us the way. It's not giving us instructions. It's not being a spiritual GPS. Jesus is giving himself to us. And he is the way. We know the way. Why? Because he's in us. He dwells in us. He gives us himself. It's the only way we can know the way. There is no way of knowing the way apart from him because it's not something that he can give us apart from himself. The gift is not knowing the way. The gift is Jesus. And there's the way. If you want to know the way in life, look to Jesus. I'll talk a little bit more about this later when I get more anecdotal. Again, the the description is going to be pretty short tonight. The musings may be longer. He goes on. And the truth. We live in a world where we're desperate for truth. You know, I, I was on Facebook the other day, as old people do, and I saw this photograph where they found the people from which Goliath descended, these giant skeletons and a skull that was like this. And I thought, that's amazing. Of course it was Photoshop. 
But I thought, wow, they found these people. Isn't that wonderful? That we can have truth. But I don't think anybody finds truth on Facebook. What is truth? We're desperate for truth. And at the same time, we resist truth. Why? Because truth is often uncomfortable. Truth gets in the way of our aspirations. It gets in the way of our dreams. Truth. You know, a saying that we use a lot today just astounds me. It's follow your heart. Follow your heart. You don't know what to do? Follow your heart. Worst advice ever. It's terrible advice. The Bible tells us that the heart is evil continually. And yet we make that a basis of our truth. Follow your heart. I can look back at my 150 years. No, it's not quite that long. And I can look at the worst mistakes I made and almost to a one, I followed my heart. And it was a terrible idea because I wanted to create my own truth. I wanted to create a truth that I could live with and I could live by. We're desperate for truth and we resist it at the same time. But Jesus is making it very clear here, even though his words are true, he's not giving us truth. He's giving us himself. And he is true. If you want to know what is true, look to Jesus. Jesus is the litmus test that shows us what is true. It's sort of like if you have a white piece of paper And you think that's a white piece of paper because you can see it, right? Just take it out of of the pack. But put that white piece of paper on the ground where there's newly fallen snow and it doesn't look quite as white anymore. It's just somewhat off now. Truth is Jesus himself. If you want to know what truth is, line it up next to Jesus. Is the thing that you're wondering about, was it true about Jesus? Was it true about those who were closest to him, who followed him? Truth. You see, Jesus doesn't give us truth. He gives us himself. And he is true. And the last one is the life. You know, we love to talk about eternal life, don't we? We Christians are just obsessed with it, aren't we? We're just talking about eternal life and heaven and, you know, things like that. And well, we should. But we often think of life and eternal life as a gift, and it is. But he's not giving us life. He's giving us himself. And he is life. 
There is no life apart from Jesus. There is no truth apart from Jesus. There is no way apart from Jesus. The way isn't something he shows us. The truth isn't something he teaches us. And life isn't a gift that he gives us. He gives us himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we realize that the gift that Jesus is talking about, that I am statement, is the basis of everything, then the second part of the verse is absolutely reasonable. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, of course, that makes perfect sense. If Jesus is life itself, not a gift that he gives us, but himself that he gives us, well, then it's impossible for us to have it in any other way. The same about truth, the same about the way. If these are the gifts of God to us as the person of Jesus, then of course it makes sense that there's no other way to have these things as gifts of God except through Jesus who is the gift to us. So this verse becomes very Christocentric immediately. And it makes perfect sense. I do have a clock on here. I was just wondering. It won't make any difference, but I do have one. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I'll find you. So that's the basic explanation. There's not much else there. It's, it's clear, it's not ambiguous. But you know what? Sometimes simple things are the hardest. And here are some of the musings that I've had when I think about this and the real presence of Jesus. I'm constantly talking about this with our students. What about the real presence of Jesus? Sometimes we can get very theological, very theoretical, very intellectual about our faith. And as we say in the UK, you don't have to check your brains at the door when you come to church. But there's something supernatural about our faith. I could tell you through a forensic description, theologically, how I came to faith. I can tell you that I was reading some material that convinced me of my own inadequacy and my own sin. Then I had this sense that the Holy Spirit was convicting me of sin and steering me toward God. I acknowledged my need. I accepted Christ as the only acceptable sacrifice for my sins, I gave my life to him in an act of surrender. He then transformed me. He has been regenerating me since and sanctifying me in my life. That's a more forensic description. But here's how I remember it. It was October the 31st, 1979. I was 15 years old. I lived on a farm and I was in my bedroom looking at old hymns because I sang in a quartet at school and I wanted the part that had the good bass part for me. But I came to this old hymn and I don't know anybody who even 
sings this hymn anymore. And it was called, Whosoever Meaneth Me. And I just realized I was in need of changing. I was in need of a savior and I couldn't, I couldn't save myself. I couldn't change myself. And I was a good kid. But I knew that even in my own goodness, I could, I could never quite make it. And I needed a savior, I needed Jesus, and I turned myself and I pleaded, Jesus, do something in me. I need you, save me. And he did something in me that I still can't quite explain. He changed me, he changed the things I wanted. And things that I didn't want before, I now wanted. He changed the entire traje trajectory of my life. He changed everything in an instant. And there was on my counter, our dresser, I don't know what it was, piece of furniture, a small Gideon's New Testament. I'd received it probably a couple of years earlier. They were out at the school, those Gideons, giving out Bibles again. And I took one, and it had stayed there ever since. But it was almost like a heavenly light shone on that. Well, at least that's how I remember it. It sounds better that way. But I picked it up, and I just started reading it. And then I would put it in my pocket, and I took it to school. And every day, whenever I had a, a spare moment, I was reading that little New Testament in Psalms. And once I finished it, I started it again. And once I finished it, I started it again. Then somebody gave me a full Bible for Christmas. I was like, there's more? <laughs> and I was amazed by Jesus. I was amazed at how he interacted with people. I was amazed at how he dealt with the people, how he taught, how his example was for all around him. I was stunned by the fact that he would just look at somebody and say, follow me. And they would just drop whatever they're doing and follow him. And it never occurred to me that you could say no to God. Sadly, I know it sounds like I'm being funny, but I'm actually not this time. I didn't learn how to say no to God until I got more involved in church. Yeah. He did something to me and it changed everything. It changed everything. Now, I wish I could tell you that I have always been faithful. I wish I could tell you that I didn't learn how to say no to God. I wish I could tell you that I always walked the straight and narrow. But even when I failed, I found a savior who was with open arms saying once again, I'm the way. John, you've lost your way. I am the way. John, you've lost sight of what is true. I am the truth. And you've lost that joy in me in living. John, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This challenges me in my own life, and I've been a Christian a long time. I imagine it also challenges you. 
because I found in looking at my own life and in the life of the church, not only in the countries where I live, but in this country when I come back, I almost can't recognize sometimes church here. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that sticks with me. And he said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. How easy it becomes for us sometimes to make Jesus moderately important. Yeah, he's in there. He's a part of life, but you know, you know, I, I, I bring him out of the bag for Sunday or for the worship time or when I'm reading the Bible, when I get around to it. But, you know, when I'm going about my normal life, I use other criteria. For example, how many of us chose our major because we asked God to show us what we should do? Did we, did we choose our major because, hey, I like that, or I like this? I see that hand. <laughs> I almost did my televangelist imitation there. I shouldn't do that. Anyway, how easy it is to put Jesus over here. Nothing else matters without him. And I often have to ask the question, have we met the Jesus of the Bible? Sure, there were people in Jesus' time who saw Jesus, you know, that radical preacher, you know, going around stirring up things. Yeah, I like the way he talks because he's given it to the powers that be, and I, I like that. Or he's healing people. Isn't that good? He's making bread out of a little bread. He's making lots of bread. He's making bread. We're eating. But if you look at John 6 toward the end of the chapter, having started with this movement, Jesus, who clearly didn't read all the books on how to keep a movement going or how to plant a church, has no one. And he looks at his disciples and says, the 12 disciples, not the large number, the 12, and says, are you going to leave me too? And they respond, where would we go? You have the words of life. Have we reached a place in our own walk with Jesus where we have nowhere else to go? The Christian life is hard. This is the great spiritual truth, paradoxical truth about life in Christ. It costs you nothing to become a Christian. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can add. His sacrifice was perfect. It costs us nothing to become a Christian. But it costs us everything to be a Christian. It costs us nothing to follow him in salvation. But it costs us everything. I know how it is. Sometimes we say it's hard. It's too hard. Jesus, he actually expects us to do stuff. He expects us to live a certain way of of all the nerve. 
He expects us to do things. He expects us to be obedient. He expects us to serve. He expects us to sacrifice of all the things. Of course. Of course he does. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. It is hard. Another good quote, if you haven't read much of G.K. Chesterton, you should, and people tell me I now kind of look like him, but you know, I have about 50 more pounds to go to be a good Chesterton. But anyway, he said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. What I'm talking to us about tonight is looking at a savior who said what he did here, who is Lord of all, and there is none beside him. I'm sort of a Lord of the Rings type of geeky type of person. I know that comes as a great surprise to you. <laughs> but I remember Gandalf saying once, there is only one Lord of the Ring and he does not share power. Now that's talking about an evil Lord. But when we talk about our good God, our God who is full of grace and power, he does not share his sovereignty with anyone else. He does not share his glory with anyone else. He is to be worshiped and obeyed not out of fear, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but because we have been overwhelmed by the love of God who gives us Jesus through whom we know the way, we know the truth, and we have the life. What I want to leave you with tonight is the lordship of Jesus. Is Jesus determining the trajectory of your life? Is Jesus showing you what you ought to do? You may be at a place in your spiritual walk where he's telling you to do something really radical, radically different from what you had prepared yourself to do. I guarantee you, obedience is better than seeking our own glory and our own will above his. When I became a Christian, I actually did choose my major out of thinking that God was leading me to do that. You see, I felt that the Lord was leading me to be a minister. And I was telling an older preacher there in Tennessee this, and he said, son, have you surrendered? And I said, what does that mean? Have you surrendered to the call? I was like, he called me and I said, yes. Again, I didn't know you could say no to Jesus. Never occurred to me. But my thought was, I was going to go to college, get my degree in music, so I could teach at my local high school and be a bivocational pastor in rural churches in Tennessee. I left America when I was 23 years old to live and minister in Europe, and I'll be 58 next month. Do I regret it? Absolutely not. 
And I can tell you this, you will never regret following Jesus into what is the unknown for you. But he knows it completely. Why? Because he's the way. You're never going to get lost. He's the truth and he's the life. I could ramble on, but I think I'm going to stop now. Oh, I think I'm supposed to stop now. I actually don't know when this thing ends. But <laughs> I think I am going to stop now because I'm eyeing the medicine ball over there, and I think I'm slightly addicted after this one. So I'm kind of needing it at the moment. But anyway, thank you for letting me share a little bit with you. And I'd like to pray for us again. And then I think we're going to worship the Lord through song a little bit more. But let me pray for you as they uh, get themselves ready. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you did not leave us as we were, but you are constantly drawing us to yourself that each day we would become more and more like Jesus. So Lord, be with us now as we continue to worship. And if you're beginning to speak to any one of us about anything in our lives, maybe about following you, about serving you in some way, Lord, help us always to respond with the yes of Isaiah and Isaiah 6. Whom shall we send and who will go for us? Here am I, send me. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. For we know that no one comes to the Father except through him. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray it in your own name, your powerful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music, even Amazon Music if you're so inclined that way. And you can also leave us a review so we can help get these resources into the hands of other people. We recorded this episode on a Thursday night gathering at the University of Southern California, and we'd love for you to join us if you're around the area. So get involved and find out more at USC Challenge on Instagram and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.